you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, and I want you to find verse 13, and we'll read that in just a moment. Also, if you do not have a Bible, and you're here today, and you need a Bible, you can take a pew Bible that you'll find right there in front of you. That is our gift to you uh, for being with us today, and if, so if you need a Bible, please take that with you, because the one thing that we want all of us as believers to do we want to be in the Word, and we want to be reading and studying so we can grow. And so, if you need a Bible, please accept that as our gift to you today. If you're using a pew Bible, it's on page 858. See, I'm going to help you out. If you have your own, you're on your own to find it, okay? 858 in a pew Bible. I want to take you back to 1896. There was a man by the name of Charles Sheldon who penned the words of what has become a classic novel entitled In His Steps. This is where Sheldon retells one of the stories that he used to read at Sunday evening churches, at Sunday evening church uh, where he was. It's the story of a local church whose members pledged and said that for an entire year, they were not going to do anything without first asking the question, what would Jesus do if he were in my place? And so for that entire year, following the example of Christ, that was their goal. And that brought a lot of joy to that little church. And in his steps, in that novel, it tells stories and it tells things that happened to the members as they lived that out. Well, now I want to fast forward about a hundred years later. In his steps swept the world like wildfire and became responsible for this little acronym. You remember this. WWJD. What would Jesus do? And I mean, you could buy little bracelets and you could buy everything that had WWJD and it was just a reminder every time you saw that for your own life in retrospect and as you were living out your faith you would ask just like this little church did for a year what would Jesus do now that concept was rooted in 1st Peter chapter 2 verse 21 for Peter says, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Now, up to this point, Peter has reminded his readers of who they are. He says to them, you're a chosen people, you're this royal priesthood, you're a holy nation, you are a living stone that's being built into a spiritual temple. So in other words, you are first and foremost, in your mind, you are now to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. That was a challenge then. It's still a challenge now because to be a citizen of the kingdom of God in the world that we live in, it is tough, isn't it, church? It is a challenge because everything that we strive 
to do and strive to be about as God's children is really just a slap in the face and it's just an upside down way of living compared to those that we walk with daily in this world. So it's a challenge. And so the question, WWJD, what would Jesus do? Maybe we need to take it a step further and look at it this way. Let's look at what Jesus did. Because what he did is what he encourages us to do right now. And so that message that Peter is sending to the church then, it's a call for us. It's a call of action. It's a call for us every day to look and see how that plays out. We've been encouraged, as Peter says, to live such good lives among the pagans that they will glorify God because of our good deeds. And so now we come to 1 Peter 2, beginning in verse 13, and Peter begins to flesh out what I would call the so what section. So, so what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to really live that called out life? What, the question is, what kind of life are we called to live in this world, and Peter would say, you are to live lives of submission in an unrighteous world. So here's how he says it, beginning in verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you are called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth, and when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness by his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray. But now you've returned to the shepherd and overseers of your souls. You see, Christians were often a misunderstood group of people in the first century Roman Empire. Sometimes they were despised as atheists because they just refused to, to worship or to bow down to the deities of that day. And in this case, it was the Roman deities, and it even included the emperor. 
and that was Nero. And so he blamed the Christians. Since he thought that, that everybody would believe it, Christians had this long way to go in earning this reputation for right living. So Peter says, you know what? Just go about your life, and you do. You have to earn it. You have to earn that reputation for being good and doing good. But he says the way to do that is you live your lives in such a good way that even though they have something negative or harsh to say about you, they can't do it. And so in that, what does he say? You're going to silence the ignorant talk. Folks, the only way to silence that is by the life that you live. And so every day, just like the people did then, what we have to do is we have to take inventory. Now, Peter says we are, we are to submit for the Lord's sake. So here we are in 2016, some 2,000 years later. What does this mean to me today? How does this apply in my life today? Well, here we are. We're living life. We're doing everything that we can every day to just wake up and to just live and just be the best person, the best Christian that we can be. And sometimes, do you ever feel like sometimes it's as if the harder I try, the more I just mess this thing up? You ever said that? And so sometimes what Satan wants you to believe is just give it up because you're not ever going to be able to do this right. Well, you know what? We're not judged by that. We're judged by our holiness we're judged by the fact that are we going to submit, as Peter says, for the Lord's sake. So, how do you do that? I want to take you back to a passage in Matthew's Gospel, in Matthew chapter 8. Isn't it funny that Peter uses this great word, submission? Well, let's, let's see what he's talking about. In Matthew chapter 8, I want you to find verse 7. And before I read that, I want you to keep this in mind. The word submission means this. It means to arrange under. Okay? So with that in mind, look at this example from Matthew's Gospel. Jesus said, I will go and heal him. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. But just say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one go, and he goes, and that one come, and he comes, and I say to my servant, do this and do that. Now obviously, in this example, the idea of submission comes from a military term, okay? The centurion in the Roman military, the emperor, had full authority. And so he had every right to do this. He could delegate his authority to others. And so when the centurion spoke in order, he spoke in order with the emperor's authority, and to disobey would mean I'm going to be disobeying the emperor, which means that's an act of treason, that's an act of defiance. And so, here's Peter's point. He's concerned with proper behavior toward a supreme government authority. E even Nero. You may not agree with what he does, 
but you still have to submit to the office. You may not agree right now what's taking place in America with our leadership. And I'm not saying that one way or the other. Even if you don't agree with the person, you have to submit to the office. Because that's the way it's arranged. That's the way it's been set up. That's not according to Patrick Cannon. That's according to God. And so Peter says, you've got to submit to that. Folks, think about it. We submit to things every day that we may not agree with, but we submit to it because of the office that it has. Would you agree? But the way to silence that, live your lives in such a good way that they can't say anything about you. And so Peter says, you go beyond our own personal conviction. You move beyond personal thoughts, and he wants us to go right to behavior of how we act toward others. And in this case, he says, you submit to the authority. Now in chapter 3, he's going to continue this idea of submission, and he's going to bring it up in the marriage sense. A marriage goes better when submission takes place. Can I get an amen on that? A marriage goes even better than this when you do this. When both spouses submit to Christ first, they should have no problem submitting to one another. Boy, it got real quiet then. Peter's advice, submit. Why do you do that? Boy, I'm struggling with life, I'm struggling with all these things, and now you're saying submit? Peter says you do it for the Lord's sake. There's a lot of things that we may not like and we may not agree to in this life, but church, listen, we do it for the Lord's sake. We do it because we know it's bringing honor to Him. Look at what he says in verse 17. Show proper respect to who? It's right there in your text. So proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. Ties back to the last verse of our scripture from last week in chapter 2, verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they can see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. I want you to understand what's happening to the people here that Peter's writing to. As a result of giving their life over to Jesus, the slave, in this sense, that slave becomes a new person. That slave takes on a new identity. When you and I give our lives over to the Lordship of Jesus, we take on a new identity, don't we? We make Jesus Lord of not just a part of my life, we make Him Lord of all. And we strive to do that. It's a work in process, progress, isn't it? Some days are easier than others. Some days we're better at it than others. But we strive to do that all the time. And so here's what Peter says. 
as this slave, this being a new person and taking on this new identity, he's now a Christian first. And he's putting Jesus first. And so his master is no longer in first place. He has a new master. And so the master no longer has power to threaten and intimidate, for the slave knows that his hope is in Jesus. The intimidation can come, but he knows my hope, my identity is in Jesus. The same is true for us. Every time somebody says something or tries to do something in a way that we're thinking, you know, is that just a slap in my face for being a Christian? They can try to intimidate you. They can try to get you to sway the other way. But what Peter is saying is don't let that happen. Your identity is rooted in Jesus. And because it's rooted in Jesus, nobody, listen, nobody can take that away from you unless you just say, here you go. Do we want to do that? Man, we're going to strive all the time to hold on to that identity, aren't we? And so for that slave, he begins to realize, my hope now is in a new master. A slave can even die. But he begins to realize he has hope now. And he goes on to be in the presence of the Lord. And so you can imagine how infuriated a master might be when one of his slaves converts over to Christianity. And so Peter is giving the worst-case scenario here. It's the worst possible position in life you could be in, slavery. And so then how do you live a godly life? In that worst-case scenario, you submit to Jesus. And if it can be done in a worst-case scenario, listen to me, it can be done in your situation right now. What is my situation? I don't know. Ask yourself that this morning. What is my situation? Am, am I living my life just without hope? Am I living my life thinking that there's no use? Folks, with Jesus, there's always hope. With Jesus, there's always that opportunity to start over. There's always that opportunity to grow and to become more like him daily. Where are you in your life? And I think one of the things that we have to do, we've got to look at Jesus, and we've got to ask ourselves, what did he do in his life under pressure? How did he handle that? Let's look at some of these examples real quick. And I think a better way to look at this is to realize what he didn't do. Number one, he didn't sin with his words. Is that hard not to do? That is so incredibly hard to achieve when evil and temptation is all around us running rampant. Because the human part of us says that when something doesn't go right, and something, somebody says something to me, the human instinct is, I'm going to get back at you with words. You use words to me, I'm going to use words back to you. The example that we see from Jesus 
He didn't sin with his words. Look at another one. He didn't deceive his enemies. You know, in self-defense, sometimes we start going back to a half-truth. You remember in Matthew 4, Jesus being tempted by Satan, and on three occasions, Satan kind of twists Scripture, and on all three occasions, what does Jesus say? But it is written. He puts it in the proper context. And he never deceived his enemies. Another thing, he didn't retaliate. You know, today we hear this, turnabout is fair play. That's not in Scripture, by the way. That may just be an everyday common life, but it's not in Scripture, I'm sorry. There's great satisfaction in telling someone off, isn't there? Man, I just feel better. I'm going to get even. He said it to me. She said it to me. I'm just going to let them have it. Have you ever said that? Don't kid yourself. Have you ever said that? Yes. Don't leave church lying today, right? We've said that. Then we look at Jesus and we're like, oh my goodness. Look at what he did. He didn't retaliate. And a lot of times when we begin to retaliate, look at the next thing we do. We begin to threat. Jesus didn't threat. It's so tempting to do that. But you know what? When you lay a threat down as a child of God, you've got to remember something. That's not the spirit of Christ at all. We're not ever going to win people over by that attitude. And so, look at what he did. He trusted his father. He was at peace under pressure. He was at peace on this idea of persecution. And in verse 24, he bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. That's what we're striving to do every day. We want to be right. We want to be in a right relationship and in a right place with God. It's not necessarily the idea of being right on whatever you're thinking. There's a lot of times where you may be dead wrong, and the best thing to do is just to continue to submit for the Lord's sake. And so, when all that pressure comes, I want you to turn over to 1 Peter 4, and I want you to see, in beginning in verse 12, at how Peter says this. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the trial you're suffering as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you can be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Look down to verse 19. So then, those who suffer according to God's will, notice this, should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. So I'm suffering for God 
and I'm just living it up here. And what does Peter say? You continue to submit to your faithful creator and just continue to do good. Shower everybody around you with the love of God and Christian kindness in a way that can only come from the Spirit of God. And so you boil all this down with one application. I think you have this. The way to face pressures of this life, you've got to trust God. And you've got to trust His Son. It's a pure, simple idea of trust. Doesn't mean that you're going to know all the answers just like that. But what it does know is that you are trusting the one who will lead you in that direction. And that's all we can ask for, right? I want to take us back to an old hymn that we sing. And I want to go to a verse that we don't sing very often. You know you're a member of the Church of Christ if you only sing one, two, and four, right? Well, we're going to sing three this morning. Well, actually, I guess it's verse four. But we never can prove. I want to read the words before we sing it. The delights of his love until all on the altar we lay. For the favor he shows and the joy he bestows are for those who will trust and obey. Let's sing this verse together. But we never can prove the delights of his love until all on the altar we lay. For the favor he shows and the joy he bestows are for those who will trust and obey. Trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. I'm going to ask that you stand as we bring our service to a close. And I want to read two scriptures to remind us, and this is our invitation this morning, that in everything that we do in our lives, we submit for Lord's sake, and we lay it at His feet, and we ask that His will be done in our lives, which means we are giving the Master Teacher the permission and the blessing to shape our lives. And so with that in mind, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let's sing this song. And if you need to respond today, please do so as we sing this song.